past couple weeks, I've been asking myself, what sermon do I want to preach? Or would I preach if I only had one final message to give? And this morning, Terry Craft suggested that we have a sort of Festivus-style airing of grievances, but I had already planned something else. So we're going we're gonna to stick with that, with my plan instead. Uh, in, in God's beautiful time, uh, one of the messages that I would love to give, I think, is the words of John, 1 John chapter 5, a message that calls God's people to trust in him, to step into the life that he has for us and for you, and to remember, uh, as we've said throughout the series, that, um, that God is our light, that God is our source of love, and just how that impacts our Christian life. So we're going to uh, get a chance here in just a minute to read together all of 1 John chapter 5. I think there's about 20 verses. Um, yeah, and just to be thankful for God's love for us and to remind ourselves to once again focus on Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is, the, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water, and, by water only, but by water and by blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, which in Jesus' day was the testimony of two witnesses. But God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has whoever does not believe God, excuse me, has made God out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. This is that testimony. God has given us eternal life. And the life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What a beautiful promise that God has already given us, eternal life. John says, continuing, I write you these things to those, to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you may have eternal life, but that you may know you already have it. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. This is, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, 
and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I think there should be a yet there. We know that we are the children of God and yet we also know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He, has, he is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It might seem strange at first, but I think it's beautiful that John ends this letter by saying, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. After all, John hasn't talked about idols at all in this short letter, but what he has talked about is the love of God, the love that God has for his people and the love of God that fills us and flows out of us. Idols are the one thing that can keep us from the love of God. Because when we worship an idol, whether it's something made of stone or wood or, or some other thing we fashion by our hands, or whether we simply put something that is good in the place of God himself, when we worship an idol, what we do is disconnect ourselves from Jesus, from the source of life, by putting our trust, our hope, our, our confidence in something other than God. And so what a beautiful way to end where John has this wonderful extended letter about the love of God and reminds his audience one time at the end, keep yourselves from idols. As we think about God's great and extravagant love for us, I, uh, I wanted to share one story with you. It's a story that probably some of you have heard before, but uh, it's a story about a woman whose name is Babette and Babette's Feast. It's a story that was made into a film in the late 80s. Uh, and, and in this story, Babette is a refugee from the French Revolutionary War in the 1700s. And uh, she leaves Paris uh, based on the advice of a friend who sends her to the west coast of Den- Denmark, this tiny little community there where this friend's two sisters live in the same house. And Babette gets to their door, and she has nothing except a letter in her hands. And the sisters in this small community can't afford to have Babette stay with them rent-free, but they strike up a bargain whereby Babette will do the the cleaning and the household chores and, and just manage the home. She'll do the cooking, and then she'll be able to live with these sisters rent-free. And this arrangement goes on for 14 years. But Babette's only connection with Paris, with France and her her home, is that this friend of hers buys her a lottery ticket once a year. And finally, after 14 years, Babette gets news that she has won the lottery. She's won 10,000 francs, which is an incredible amount of money, especially that long ago. And so Babette has to decide what she's going to do with all of this money, it would be more than enough for her to be able to move back to Paris and start a new life there. But instead, without telling anyone, 
uh, telling anyone the cost, she decides that she's going to take this lottery winnings and she's going to spend it all on one massive meal, a feast to feed these two women, these two sisters, a feast to feed the, the small community, about uh, a dozen of them or so that are part of, this, part of this community and also part of the same church. And so over the coming weeks, all these uh, exotic packages from France start arriving in this small community. And these people living in, in this small town think of themselves as, as very pious. We might think of them as a kind of Puritan, very, uh, very proud of their humility and their simplicity, not given to excess and certainly wanting to avoid gluttony. And so as all of these wines and other drinks, as, as the meats and cheeses and all kinds of other things start arriving for this big feast, the sisters and this community find themselves in trouble because they know that they can't go, uh, they, or they can't avoid the meal. This is Babette's big thank you, and so they have to receive it. But they also know that they don't want to, to be excessive, and they don't want to uh, enjoy it too much because that would be a sin. That would be gluttony. And so they decide, we will go to the feast we will go to this big meal, but we just won't say anything. We'll just eat it, we'll say thank you, but we won't enjoy ourselves too much. We don't want we, we to be excessive, and we don't want Babette to get a big head either. And so the, feast, the, the day of the feast comes, and uh, the, everything is prepared, and Babette has, has made it all wonderfully and beautifully, and uh, there's, a, there's another traveler who comes in, and he's, he is, as a stranger, he's welcome to the feast as well. And they have this extravagant meal with all kinds of wine and, and other fancy drinks. They've got seven or ten courses and just one beautiful, delectable thing after another one comes out. And everyone's eating it. And they're having a good time, but not saying anything about the food, not saying anything to Babette. They're simply content to silently eat the meal. Except the stranger the visitor who's in town and hasn't got the menu, or hasn't got the memo, excuse me. He can't shut up. He just keeps saying, this is the best food I've ever had. This is beautiful. This is who made this. I have never had anything so good in my life, except for once when I ate at the best restaurant in Paris. The end of the meal comes, and the sisters expect that Babette is going to go home to France. And then she reveals to them that actually she spent everything on this meal. That she's just as poor now as she was a week ago or, or several weeks ago before she found out that she had won the lottery. That she has no money, she has no future. Only the future that they will hold out for her and the future that God holds out for her. And that she had made this meal for them because she had been, uh, she had been the head chef at this best restaurant in Paris. And this is her way of giving them thanks, giving them everything. Now, I tell you this story not because, or I don't want you to get the wrong idea and say, oh, Adrian thinks he's Babette and he's given you everything. That's not it at all. But I tell you the story because I think what we often do as Christians is we minimize what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus gave us everything. He didn't just spend his last cent. He gave his whole life and then he gave his life unto death for us. And when Jesus went into the grave, he had no future except the future that the Father would give him. It wasn't, it wasn't a trick of the, of the light. It wasn't, it wasn't a psych out where Jesus was just it only looked like he was dying, but really he, he wasn't giving everything. He really did give everything. Everything unto death. And too often, I think, we treat that gift like it's something common. Like it's something that, well, we just... We should, be, we should go and we should say thank you, but we, just, we, we shouldn't be overly excited. We shouldn't celebrate too much. That would be inappropriate. Or people th- would think that we were weird or, or that would be excessive in some, in some way that's wrong. But we have a choice every day as Christians. And in the coming weeks and months and whatever is to come for you as New Life Church, you have a choice. We can be happy with sort of the, the normal of what is. Or we can look at the extravagance that God has given us. And we can begin to taste and see again just how great of a gift He has given us. Just how wonderful of a feast He lays out for us. Not just once, but again and again and again. And we can respond like that stranger at the feast with extravagant joy, with endless thanks, and with great love. Say, who is the chef? Who is the one who has made all this possible for us? It certainly isn't me, nor is it any of you. It's only ever been Christ. As we've talked about Love, and as we've talked about uh, light and love in the Christian life, I mentioned last week that the word love appears so many times in this book that we might be getting tired of it, and that John uh, is, is using the word love and calling us to love so many times because he's worried that we won't do it. He's worried that his audience will forget. This past week, someone uh, in a commentary I was reading put that in a little bit of a different light. They said, why does John call God's people to love so many times? Simply because it's so hard for us to do. It's much easier for us to put our own agenda, our own comfort, our own default, our own worries ahead of the love that God calls us to live into. It's much easier for us to say, well, I will take care of myself first and then I will go out and serve the world. We will get to the loving one another. We will get to the loving our neighbor. We will get to the the mission we have in our world once we figure out taking care of ourselves. Loving others, so hard for us to do because we have our own priorities that we need to set aside. We have our own worries that we need to allow Jesus to to, uh, meet and, and speak to us in. We have our own agenda and our own comforts that Christ may or may not want to lead us in. And so, I want and I get to exhort you this morning one final time to love each other. 
to love your neighbors, to love this world, not because they deserve it. The world is the world that, the world then that John is talking about is still the world today, the world that does not know God or love him. But to love the world anyway. And I exhort you to follow my example. As I have imperfectly loved you, love each other. Outdo me. Love each other better than I have loved you. As you have followed my imperfect leading, follow God's perfect leading. And follow it better than follow him better than you followed me. After all, this eternal life that John talks about here in the end of chapter 5, this eternal life is not something like communion. It's not something that we've earned for ourselves. It's not something we walked into with our heads held high. It's something that Christ has won for us, that he has afforded for us, and that he holds for us on our behalf. And so no matter how much we give, no matter how sacrificially you love, no matter how crazy and extravagant the path that God calls you to, that eternal life, you can't lose it because it is hidden with God in Christ for you. That is our joy. Why would we give that up for idols? So brothers and sisters, love each other as God has loved you. And all God's people say, amen. Father God, the path you have set before us is one that we cannot walk by ourselves. And while that is difficult, we also celebrate that we do not walk alone. That when we fall, when we worry, when we fret, that we can depend on you, we can rely on you, we can follow you. Because not only are you present with us, Holy Spirit, but you continue to lead us on forward, reminding us that you have given us everything and given it with such great extravagance. So we thank you, we praise you, And all the glory and honor goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People of God, we're going to have a few moments now where we do something a little different. You can sit. You're okay. Um, We're going to have... People don't usually just come up right after the prayer. Yeah.